ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome into this Wednesday, May 31st edition of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. We are drawing closer to Friday's first pitch, 7 o'clock East Carolina in the regional against Oklahoma in the Charlottesville Regional. We'll preview that a little bit later from a UVA perspective. We'll get somebody on who covers the Wahoos. And obviously, as always, we're live on YouTube, live on Facebook. If you got a comment, question for us, drop it there. We'll get to it throughout the show. We're going to get to our guests in a second. I want to first promote some big news for the Interbanks Media platforms. This weekend, we'll have complete coverage of the J.H. Rose Championship Series live on w, w, or 103.7 WTIB. The three-game series will get underway on Friday at two p- at 8 p.m., excuse me, Saturday at 2, and then Sunday an if-necessary game at 5 or 8. We'll have that news for you. Croft, Massey, and Jackson Searles will be on the call again. 103.7 WTIB will be that coverage. J.H. Rose versus Wes Henderson, three-game series for the state title, best of three We'll have that live coverage for you. We want to thank our sponsors for the J.H. Rose baseball coverage. Pitt County Schools, Orthopedics East and Sports Medicine Center, Meridian Park Apartments, the Gavigan Agency, the J.H. Rose Athletic Foundation, Wells Fargo Advisors in Greenville, Stadium Sports, the law firm of Hardy, Massey, and Blodgett, Caraway Office Solutions, and the Tire Realty Group. So, again, we'll have more coverage for the J.H. Rose Championship Series coming up this weekend. Also, Coach RV will be on the Patrick Johnson Show at 5 o'clock on Thursday, legendary coach Ronald Vincent. So we'll have that coverage for you this weekend. All right, back to our show in studio. Got a special guest. He is Scott Gasper, the Director of Player Personnel and Recruiting. And Scott, for those who don't follow recruiting, they might not understand your role. I, I obviously cover recruiting, so you know we have plenty of conversations and have talked plenty over the years. Uh, I guess over the past year, it feels like longer than that. You've only been here a year. Uh, let's talk first just how crazy it was. You came from West Virginia mid-June last year. About to be your one-year anniversary, do you feel like you finally caught up a little bit? Still catching up. Yeah. You know, this uh, the recruiting landscape is always changing, but uh, yeah, I kind of I jumped in. My first day here was a camp day. My second day, we had a huge official visit weekend. (laughs) So I didn't even know where my house was in Greenville, and I'm trying to do official visits and and camps and everything. So it was was a wild first first month, really. Director of Player Personnel, recruiting your role at ECU now, and you have a a background in coaching. You're also a quarterback in your playing days. So take us through the Scott Gasper profile, what led you uh, into, you know, wanting to get into coaching and led you down this path? Uh, you, you know, I played at a, a small Division II school in West Virginia. Um, from there, played a little bit after that, got into coaching. Uh, I was actually coaching at a little junior college in Mississippi and uh, met the head coach at the time at Indiana University, recruiting some of our players. We were talking recruiting, and, and he offered me a, a job on his staff as in recruiting, and that's kind of where I took off with that role and have been in that for eight years now. Do you do you miss the coaching side of things, or, or how much does that maybe help you too as far as you kind of know what to look for evaluating talent? Because some people come up through just they've been on the recruiting side of things as far as the you know support staff versus coaching. Like, Do you feel like you kind of have a good balance, and do you ever miss coaching on the field? 
You know, game days. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the the hours and the practices, everything like that. I don't miss that. And you know, it's what what we're doing recruiting wise, and the way again with the landscape of recruiting. There's there's never downtime, so it's not like you really have time to miss something else because you're always right. diving into to the next guy or the next class or whatever it is. We're visiting with Scott Gasper in studio. If you got a question for him, drop it on uh, Facebook, YouTube. There are certain things he can answer. Uh, if it's about a specific player he's used recruiting, he cannot talk about that unless they've signed. So keep them general uh, if you got questions. But uh, just the, the overall recruiting landscape, Scott, I mean, it's just crazy. I started working for 24-7 Sports in 2012. And uh, I didn't know what I was doing at the time. And I still feel like I don't even know what I'm doing sometimes because it's just crazy. Uh, the transfer portal, um, you know, it just seems like the rules are changing every year. You know, you got NIL. Like, how do you even begin to try and manage everything in your role? Because you're obviously you deal with the coaches. You're trying to set up visits. I mean, there's just so much that goes on. I'm sure you have to have kind of a small army involved helping you out. No doubt. No doubt. And really what you have to do is you have to treat – each aspect as a different animal. So right now we're working on the 2024 class, which are guys that just finished their junior year, moving into their senior year, and getting them on official visits. So right now all we're thinking is high school recruiting. Now when you get into a different time of year, postseason, you know, you look at where you need to fill some holes while you develop those high school kids. Now it becomes a transfer portal time. And you really have to dive into the transfer portal without losing focus because we are a developmental program, so we want to build from, from the grassroots, which is our high school recruiting classes. And so we, we never want to lose focus to that, but there are times and windows with the transfer portal where we need to fill holes either through graduation or transfers ourselves. I do want to talk about just the – the transfer portal window and, and it seems like all the visits are kind of crammed into certain windows and uh i remember early january it was just an insanity but let's talk first about june because it's may 31st the calendar flips to june tomorrow and and for people that don't follow football recruiting closely they don't understand that this is the busiest time of the year you, i don't know how much sleep you're going to get i don't even know how you had time to come in here to uh, do this interview but i appreciate that uh h- how busy will june be do you get any days off in june no <laughs> Yeah. No, not not even close. Uh, but but June by far is the busiest time of year for recruiting because you think about it, we've got our on-campus camps that are going on, um, which we have five of those plus our little kids' camps. Um, on top of that, we go to – there's these mega camps all over the country. Uh, so we'll go out and our coaches will attend those because we know kids were recruiting in the south. We'll push them to one of these mega camps knowing that we're going to be there. They may not be able to get to East Carolina this summer for one of our camps, but they can get to a camp in Georgia, a camp in Florida, a camp in Alabama, and we can go down and we can evaluate guys there. So you have that aspect of it. And then you also have all of our official visits. So we've got two major weekends, and we just added a third weekend on top of We've got guys coming in in one-offs, and basically you've got them for 48 hours to show them everything that we have to offer and get them interested. So if you could, for the people that are listening, maybe they don't know the difference between unofficial visits, official visits, you guys get the chance to kind of roll out the red carpet, you know, pay for everything for the most part on official visits. So what is the biggest difference there? And and basically it's the biggest sales pitch you can make, I think, to a recruit when they come on an official visit, right? 
Yeah, uh, the official visit, like you said, we're allowed to pay for everything. We're allowed to fly the prospect and his family in for the visit, put them up in a hotel, pay for all their meals. Uh, the biggest thing we have to sell is is our fan base and our campus. I mean, you know, I was blown away when I first set foot on ECU's campus and they took me on a tour and I was like, this is a place you can sell. This is a place that kids want to go to school. And then you you combine that with our, our game day atmosphere, the support we have from really all of Eastern North Carolina. You know, it's it's a great fan base. Our game days are phenomenal. It matters to people here, and that's easy to sell to kids. What's the balance like of, you know, you, you maybe would rather use an official visit like for a game day, but most guys are committing earlier and earlier these days. So you have to kind of bring them in in June. So what are those conversations like? Hey, do we want to get this guy on an official here in June or, or wait till the fall? Kind of what's that conversation like? And really, we have general guidelines that we go by. Um, obviously, we've been talking to these kids that are coming on official visits for a long time. And our requirements are that they're going to make a summer decision or an August decision. If a, if a kid tells us, well, I'm going to make a decision midway through my senior year or after my season, well, we don't want to shoot our shot in June. Right. So those guys will say, okay, well, let's bring you in during the season, uh, a December official visit. So that's kind of how we determine who's coming in this summer versus who we just need to continue to recruit and get them here during the season or postseason. What is so for an official visit? Kind of take us through like what would an ideal itinerary be? Like when do they get in? What are y'all trying to do to kind of sell them? Especially in June when there is no game to maybe take them to. A, I, I'm sure it would be nice to maybe take them to a home regional. Unfortunately, that's not happening this year. But y'all have used that in the past, so um, yeah. just kind of walk us through what an ideal itinerary would be. So usually we get them in. Uh, we, we like to do our visits Thursday through Saturday. So, you know, obviously we're only allowed to have them for up to 48 hours. Uh, so we, we bring them in Thursday, late afternoon. Uh, we'll usually do an event, uh, whether it's something in town, could be a baseball game if they were playing, something like that, just as an icebreaker to kind of get to know guys. Then we'll go have a dinner somewhere and then – Really, we try and get these recruits out with the guys on our team as much as possible. So they'll have a, a player host that'll take them out. Uh, usually, you know, they hang out with the other guys on the team, and that's that's a big selling point because kids talk to kids. And and if our kids are happy here and they like the direction of the program, what we're building, what we're doing, it's an easy sell, and, and kids are going to buy into it. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many guys I've interviewed after visits who talk about just the family atmosphere and, and you know that's kind of a cliche thing to throw around but it, it truly does feel like if you all kind of have a player host that's hosting a, a, a visit for a recruit they really hammer that home and then when they talk to the coaches and the rest of the players it's not just you know they're not just saying it they really mean it and I, I feel like a lot of guys get that feel and do you get the same vibe as the director of recruiting that that's really something you truly sell and not just say it's not lip service yeah. you know I mean you look at Coach Houston, he, he is who he is. You know, there's not a, a lot of salesmen in him. He's going to tell you exactly what to expect, and he's going to deliver on that, which is easy to sell, too, because this recruiting game, there's a lot of, a lot of games to yeah. it. And I think just the, the honest approach and being truthful and showing what you have and what that prospect can do in your program is the best sales pitch we have. Camp season coming up as well. We talked about the official visit side of things. Uh, when do camps get underway? And then, 
you know, just from following ECU recruiting over the years, it seems like at least a handful of guys that end up committing to ECU down the line come from these camps. So a huge evaluation piece, and how important is this to, to find guys who maybe are off the radar? Absolutely. You know, you you find – you go to these camps or we have guys that show up here where we've seen their film and, you know, hey, they, they really flash some good things. You see some qualities that – really work with what we're doing offensively, defensively. Then you get them in camp. You get to work with them one-on-one. You're like, hey, this kid, he can do it. This is exactly what we're looking for. That is a huge piece for us, not only the camp season, but even going into senior evals. Kids grow a lot between the time they're 16, 17, 18 years old. They, they become different players. And I feel a lot of times we've, we've rushed this recruiting process up so much that a lot of schools will forget about a kid's senior year, and that still matters to us. Yeah, there's definitely a ton of guys who have committed in camps that have come on to become big players for East Carolina football. Let's get our first break in. We're visiting with Scott Gasper. On the other side, I want to talk more about kind of your recruiting team as a whole and the the people that make uh, your job maybe a little bit easier, a little less stressful. And then we'll also hit on NIL, the portal more, would you like to see any changes to uh, college football recruiting? We'll get into all that on the other side. We're visiting with Scott Gasper, Director of Recruiting at ECU. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. What's happening, man? What's happening? Tell me what's happening. Every ECU fan's one stop for all things ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Steve and I go on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into the studio, 94.3 The Game, Hoist the Colors. We've got Scott Gasper in studio visiting with us for another segment uh coming up later in the show we're going to visit with preston willop he covers uva baseball for cbs 19 in virginia so we'll talk with him a little bit later get a look at the cavaliers scott we got a couple questions on social media we'll get to before we kind of dive into some uh some more of these topics as far as transfer portal and everything and speaking of transfer portal richard alsberg wants to know with the crazy world of the transfer portal, do we have coaches involved with player retention? So obviously you're involved in recruiting guys, but right. recruiting now is, is recruiting your own roster at times too. Without question. I mean, there's the the first week after our season, uh, first five to seven days, is spent solely on recruiting our current roster. Before we head out, we got to take care of the guys we've already spent time developing before we add to the roster. So absolutely 100% our coaches, that's that's becoming more and more of a focus with these transfer windows. Yeah, it's just insane, man. And uh, Chesapeake Pirate also wants to know, how does ECU prioritize the uh, geography focus of our recruiting and how much impact is there on that based on the connections the coaching staff has developed over the years? That's That's where we start with our initial evaluations, where we where we start all of our recruiting basically is within a six hour radius, and that from here that encompasses a lot of areas, and that's where the heart of our recruiting and really ideally where the base of our roster will come from. You get somebody within that area, they know about East Carolina, they know about the tradition here, the the fan support, uh, the atmosphere, and, and so it, it matters to them. We're visiting with Scott Gasper. If you got any questions, get them in now. We got them to around 1230 or so. Uh, drop them on YouTube, Facebook. We'll answer them before he gets out of here. All right, Scott, transfer portal. We touched on it earlier. 
how much it's changed the game. And there's basically a transfer portal recruiting season and a high school recruiting season now. And uh, I just remember in early January, it was like, you know, it seemed like four or five transfers were coming to campus every day. And I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but it was almost like a week and a half of extra visits were allowed. How was that, you know, were were you guys a fan of that, you know, extra window for visits there, or is that too much? So for for people that don't know, there was a – a six-day window in right. January where transfer portals kids could visit campus, and it was right before we started classes. Essentially, what it was, it was speed dating. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everybody was fighting to get these same kids on visits, so your forty-eight-hour visits quickly became twenty-four-hour visits. And you know, there's you're going and picking kids up off other people's campus to get them to your campus. Uh, you're splitting flights with other schools to get people around. And these kids, you know, they're trying to see three or four schools in a six-day period. Like I said, it's speed dating. You you got your slotted time, and you sell what you can, and, and hopefully you get them if you want them. What are the conversations like with, with you know Coach Houston and the rest of the staff as well when y'all kind of have a, a I don't know if if a, if a player, a transfer, high school recruit, anybody reaches out to a coach and says, "Hey, I want to come visit," or you know you're determining whether to offer a kid or really pursue them hard like what are kind of those meetings like conversations like when you are trying to determine whether to really go after a kid you know there's a there's a pipeline that we have and it starts with the recruiting department and we do the initial evaluation of players based on film then it goes to their area coach so if it's a kid in virginia it goes to his area coach he does some background on the kid with the high school coach to find out if he's a fit for our program. Then it goes to the position coach who watches his film, reads the notes from the area coach. Then it goes to the coordinator and then up to Coach Houston who has the final say. And Obviously, North Carolina is always going to be key for ECU recruiting. There's no doubt about that. But I've just noticed you know, really the last year or two and kind of definitely when you first got here, more recruiting in, in, in Georgia – in Florida and in Alabama, I've noticed the last few years, and some of that is due to who's on staff, like who has connections as well. But do you feel like you know with the recent success, y'all have been able to get a little bit better, you know, feedback, maybe going further out of your, you know, kind of that six-hour radius you talked about? Without question, uh, you know, you talk to kids that are out of our immediate region, and you ask them. One of the questions you'll ask them is, "How much do you know about ECU, or what do you know about Greenville, North Carolina?" And uh, one of the things – I know you guys won a bowl game last year. That's one of the first things right. out their mouth. So that that's important, us to go to bowl games, play in bowl games, win those bowl games. Very important for us to broaden our reach. Your team underneath you, I know you have had some you know, movements and have made some new hires. Uh, it's, it's never it's never stable, it seems like. There's, there's always some changes. But who uh, who's now working with you directly in the recruiting uh, department? So we've, we've actually had a, a – an overhaul in that area yeah. where everybody that's working with me has been here within the last three months. Wow. Um, you know, most recently Jared Reed joined us and he just joined us a couple weeks ago. Uh, Chesney McClellan, who's our director of on-campus recruiting. She came to us from the Tennessee Titans, got her a few months ago. And Javon Hubbard was most recently at Liberty university and he joined us a couple months ago as well. Yeah, and Javon, yeah, he's been here in the past in some Correct. different roles. So at least you do have some familiarity there. And, um, you know, it just seems like Chesney has some, you know, obviously the NFL experience, but it seems like she's pretty sharp and has helped out the team a lot. She is. She was a college athlete, uh, you know, played volleyball at Auburn 
uh, was a very successful athlete. Uh, so she, she understands the recruiting process and she's, she's young enough to understand what, what kids are looking for on those visits and things like that. So recruiting is, they've, they've added this December signing period now for several years, but you know, I always get asked, what good does it do if kind of the majority of the kids are now signing in December and not many are signing in February? You know, would you like to see maybe there be even more separation? I've always said an August signing date would make sense in theory because you have all these guys committing early. Is is or would that just push it further forward where guys are committing even earlier? It, it does, and I've, I've I've had this discussion with a lot of people. What I worry about with a August signing date mm-hmm. is how many high school kids would forego their senior year. That's a fair point. You see, you see seniors in college opting out of bowl games. Well, it's it's just a trickle down effect. Right. How many high school kids would say like, "Hey, you know, I signed my scholarship. What's the incentive for me to play this senior year and risk injury?" Yeah. So it's 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 a, people people that get paid a lot more and a lot smarter than me need to make <laughs> those decisions. But it just seems like I don't know. Like the December signing period is there's just so much going on now with if you especially if you're in a bowl game like you guys were last year. You've got guys who are transferring out of your program potentially. You've got guys who are then trans- entering the portal, so you're trying to evaluate that talent, maybe get them on visits as well in early December. So it just seems like – and then you're, you know, you're trying to prepare for the bowl game, which almost seems secondary. I, don't, I, don't, I just don't know like how it's sustainable. I mean, it just seems like it's chaos. It is. Yeah. It is because you have to – it's not like you can add more coaches that can go right. on the road. So you have to figure out the most efficient way for your coaches to go see your commits, for your coaches to fill the last remaining high school spots we have, but also your coaches have to go see transfer kids. It's, uh, it's a lot. It, yeah, it is. It's chaos. <laughs> Uh, and obviously, you're, you know, you, we talked about earlier, you're approaching your first year anniversary at East Carolina, been able to join at a great time, you know, the program rolling at a pretty good rate. And um, along with the recruiting, you're the director of player personnel. So you have kind of a, a vision for how the roster should look. I know Coach Houston has told me y'all kind of sit down and look at, hey, how many scholarships do we want here versus there? Right. So um, what are those conversations like in terms of determining how many guys we're going to recruit in, say, the 2024 class for a certain position uh, as far as tr- – and the transfers as well? Like is that kind of always a, a fluid number as well, depending on what happens with the roster? I wouldn't say fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, our the, – the number of scholarships, what we do is we set a number of scholarships that we want in each position room and then an ideal number of that position on the roster. So that would include walk-ons. Right. And, and we try and stay pretty firm with those scholarship numbers. Like we want to have four scholarship quarterbacks. Well, right now we only have three, but we feel good about those three. Right. You know, we, we want this many number of running backs, this many offensive linemen. Now, we always try and leave a couple scholarships that we call – head coach best available. Right. So we're not going to turn it. If, if we're full on the D-line, okay, but we find a kid that can get to the quarterback that's an edge rusher that can change games and really impact our team, well, the head coach can say, we'll, we'll take one from another area right. because we need this kid or we need this athlete on the roster. Yeah, I just think it's fascinating. I always feel like there's always one, two scholarships – 
left for best available because you somebody always falls through the cracks or you get you know a break somewhere with one of those guys y'all have had a, a decent amount of turnover with the coaching staff as well especially on the offensive side of the ball you know guys moving on to other opportunities uh new new coaches means kind of new connections like Darrell roberts uh, ties to virginia tech ties to the state of virginia how much do you feel like those in aaron R getting the promotion i know he's got heavy ties to georgia how much did those connections kind of help maybe open up new areas or new pipelines as you've talked about? Absolutely. You know, 100%, especially with Dyrell. You know, mm-hmm. he's from Virginia, played at Virginia Tech. You know, he especially that 757 area, you know, that is home for him. So when he got here, it was a simple conversation between he and I where like, hey, that's yours, go. You know, I'm not going to give him any information that he doesn't know right. about that area. So, you know, we kind of cut him loose, and, and he's done a great job. He's got a lot of guys coming to camps. Um, you know, on top of that, he's done a great job. He, he's young, energetic. He's, he's got a lot to, to offer, and, and he does a great job recruiting. Aaron Hour, again, somebody that's been here a few years, is from Georgia. You know, it was an easy fit just to move him into that Georgia area, give him a large area, and trust that he's just going to take it over and run with it, which he has. When guys are on the road, when coaches are on the road, kind of like they have been in May, you know, what, I'm sure it's a lot to try and track when you're in the office and they're all over the place, but do they try and call you and say, hey, like, I just offered this kid and I really like him, but let's move him to the top of the board or something like that? Are those conversations ongoing too? Every day. Yeah. So, you know, uh, Javon Hubbard speaks a lot with our offensive coaches. Uh, myself and now Jared has joined us. We'll talk a lot with the defensive coaches, but we try and talk to every single coach every single day. And uh, part of that is just what you said. I saw this kid. I offered him. I really like him. Then the next question is, can you get coach to watch him? And then Coach Houston and I will sit down a couple days a week. We'll knock out all the guys we've offered so the coaches have immediate feedback from him on his thoughts about the kid. Or if he has questions about the kid, I can relay that right to the coaches and they can get it answered. We talked about Dyrell, and there's not an area I get asked about more from ECU fans than the 757, so I'm, I'm glad. I'm sure they'll be glad to hear that. And then also with Alan Mogridge and Jules Montanar coming on staff, they would seem to be able to – uh, go down into Florida, which I know just just kind of following recruiting. It seems like there's been a lot of offers and a lot of guys visiting from the Sunshine State. So, do you feel like that's helped as well? It, absolutely. You know, Coach Mo has recruited that Central Florida area for you know as long as he's been coaching, and then uh, Coach Jules, you know, he he moved right into South Florida and has already got kids up here to visit. Um, we've we've actually got a a large group coming in from Florida Friday. To, to visit campus and just kind of see our facilities and everything that we have. Scott Gasper with us. A few more things for you. We'll get you out of here. When you look at the 2024 class, are there any you know big areas of, of need for you guys positionally that you are really targeting, or is it at a point where it's pretty balanced right now? You know, we still have a pretty young roster, yeah. and so we don't have a ton of spots or a ton of scholarships. But, again, I think the 24 class – is in my opinion the first class to recover from COVID. Right. You know, all of those kids in the twenty three, the twenty two, they they lost a year of development in high school. And I feel like the twenty four class is finally getting back to what it was pre COVID, where these kids have had spring balls, they've had full seasons, you know, they've had full summers. And and I think I think the twenty four class is really strong and I'm excited about it. And lastly, when you guys bring recruits on game day visits, I can't 
tell the fans enough how much of a difference it makes. And um, I imagine when you saw the NC State atmosphere, I think that was so that would have been your first game, right? right? You'd have been pretty uh, pretty blown away. So, you know, if you're a recruit, how much difference does that make? Because these these recruits are also visiting other programs where it, it's not like that everywhere. So, no. What what can you say to fans as far as their importance on the potential impact of a recruit just by showing up? The first thing we do with our recruits on game days after we check them in and everything is we take them to the Pirate Walk. And the amount of fans that line for that and the excitement there is before every game day, that sets the tone for their entire game experience. And so that is instrumental in in showing these kids how important it is to ECU and its fans. He's Scott Gasper. Scott, this has been fun. We'll have to get you back uh, once you are able to get some sleep. But uh, good luck in June, man. And I know it's it's going to be a bear, but it'll be fun because, you know, you guys will land some future Pirates as well. And it's a lot of hard work, but in the end it pays off. But thanks for uh, stopping by today. I appreciate you. Scott Gasper, we will talk with him down the line as well. On the other side, we're going to switch gears, talk some baseball. We'll catch up with Preston Willett from CBS 19 to preview the Virginia Cavaliers as East Carolina gets ready for the Charlottesville Regional. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. We're live with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Hoist the Johnny Roger! Now, back to Hoist the Colors. All right, welcome back in studio. Last-minute equipment change. We got it done. We got it in at the buzzer. Clark Willis came through, producer. We just talked to Scott Gasper to talk ECU recruiting but we got a regional to preview, guys. East Carolina, of course, going to take on Oklahoma this Friday night at 7 o'clock. The action gets underway. 12 noon, Army versus top-seeded Virginia. And to preview the Virginia Cavaliers, talk about the regional, we've got uh, Scott Willett, or Preston Willett, excuse me, from uh, CBS 19. Preston, big-time atmosphere that we can expect this weekend in Charlottesville. I know that the Cavaliers have to be excited about hosting a regional once again. Yeah, first time yeah, – thanks for having me on, Stephen. First time since 2016 that they've hosted a regional. And it's actually, it'll be really interesting to see because there's a lot of buzz around town, but this is the first time they've hosted a regional since they had the big you know, stadium edition. So now their, their capacity is much larger, so – We'll see what they do. They broke the attendance record last year when uh, they retired Brian Zimmerman's number. So I, I'm expecting a huge crowd this weekend. It's a really interesting regional to look at. Preston Willett, the sports director for CBS 19 in Virginia. And so I was up there, Preston, for the 2016 regional. Of course, East Carolina ended up mm-hmm. winning um, You know that regional over – the championship game was over William & Mary, but they had the, the dramatic win over – Virginia with the Travis Watkins walk-off. So you talked about the expansion. What exactly has been done? Because I've not been back to the facility. I'm sure many Pirate fans have not been since that date. Uh, you know, what has improved? What has been done to uh, to Davenport Field since then? Yeah, so they added more seats along the third baseline and then also added a field-level club. Um, just kind of improved, revamped the facility. But now the capacity is at about 5,900. They had just more than that for the uh, Virginia Tech game where they retired Ryan Zimmerman's number last year. So it's a, it's a pretty substantial field. I think it's the third largest stadium in the ACC. So that's, that's saying something just with the ACC and the money that they have going around. But uh, it's, uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see just how many people they can, they can get in there. Uh, we've had pretty good crowds out here in Charlottesville this year. Um, and I expect nothing less. I mean, as soon as tickets went on sale on Monday, uh, I think they were popping off. 
And Preston, uh, this Virginia and East Carolina, these two programs, they have such interesting familiarity with one another, and they scrimmage each other. They played each other last year. They've played each other in the regular season, the postseason in recent years. So, you know, of course, they don't play each other in the opening round, so both teams are kind of trying to dance around answering questions about it. But you and I can talk about it. We're not playing in the game. And there's the chance, hey, maybe they don't meet up uh, this weekend. But – just the familiarity between these two teams, what type of factor do you think that will play in this regional? I don't know. Depending on how long it goes, they might need us to, to come out of the bullpen <laughs> or something, yeah. depending on pitching. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of familiarity. I mean, you look at you know Coach McMullen, obviously, you know, coached at ECU, and obviously they played each other just last year, and they played each other uh, in the fall, and you know they have a lot of familiarity with each other. And um, I, I think you know these two teams – you know, there's a lot of respect there for each other, and uh, you look at the last year's matchup. Um, it was it was a good one, and there's a huge crowd down there. The jungle was going off down there. That was something else to experience. That was the first time I had seen it last year uh, down there at East Carolina. But uh, yeah, I think it's it's a good matchup. Um, obviously, you've got some good pitching down there with with ECU, and um, I think what kind of Virginia struggled with last year was the pitching and just kind of running out of arms and and guys just not pitching up to their standard. And this year they've, they've gotten a little bit better. They brought in some transfers. One guy that I know East Carolina fans are probably familiar with is Nick Parker, who pitched against them with Coastal Carolina last year, struck out 10 uh, in their game in the regionals. So uh, definitely uh, going to be an interesting to watch that pitching matchup this weekend if they do play each other. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I know ECU fans are already – cringing at the thought of facing nick parker again uh if that if that happens has uva we'll, t- we'll touch on the pitching first uh before we talk about this in- insanely good offense but as uva have they decided or announced a, a game one starter because just looking at it it seems like they have four guys who have started a lot of games and maybe not one dominant guy but four really solid starters so it seems like they could go in a, a, a bunch of different directions potentially yeah, I would kind of describe the pitching staff as pretty even all the way through, like you said. You know, they've they've kind of played around with it, especially as of late, you know, a couple of weeks ago after they kind of hit like a little mid-season slump and they're going into their finals. They were like, all right, we're going to approach every game like playoff mode. So we'll name a game one starter and then we'll just see who we have to use from there. So, you know, they're using guys out of the bullpen right now and um, just kind of playing to win each each and every game and they'll deal with whoever they have to pitch the next day. Um, so right now I would say Nick Parker is probably their, their number one guy. Um, so, you know, would it make more sense to save him for, you know, a Saturday night, you know, when you have that, the winner's bracket, um, and then Connolly early, who has been their midweek guy for most of the season, all ACC pitcher has kind of transitioned to be kind of their number two starter, but doesn't make more sense to pitch him against his former school and army who they're playing on Friday afternoon. Um, so a lot of different, you know, little matchups within that. Uh, I would expect them to say Parker, but, you know, I've been wrong before because last week in the ACC tournament, they had, you know, not a, a pretty meaningless game against Georgia Tech, uh, just with how the ACC pool play works. And they pitched Nick Parker. They ended up winning that 15 to one. And then they turned around the next day, started Connolly early, lost that game against North Carolina. So it, it'll be interesting to see. I would expect, you know, to find out more about that you know tomorrow at practice um see what brian o'connor has to say yeah we're still waiting as well to to hear east carolina's pitching plans they're kind of similar they do have trey savage 
who has led the rotation, but then he pitched out of the bullpen in the conference tournament. So it's it's an interesting scenario with some pitching. Oklahoma, looking at them, is kind of the same way. So we'll see what the pitching plans are. Likely coming up Thursday when all the teams practice in Charlottesville. Preston Willett is with us. He covers Virginia for CBS 19. And Preston, this offense, you recognize some of the names, at least uh, from an East Carolina perspective, from last year's regional and to see they're hitting 334 as a team is just uh, that, that's, that's pretty insane. Just has this offense gotten even better, you know, year over year? It seems like it, at least on paper. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. You know, when I first got here, I got to Charlottesville in 2017. You know, they they struggled at times hitting, um, and they had some good pitching, and then you know, they kind of turned it on once they got to uh, in 2021. Once they got into the NCAA tournament and kind of turned it on, just enough. And that helped them get to Omaha behind, you know, some really strong pitching performances. But, you know, jumping off of last year, you know, they made a huge jump offensively. You know, Jake Geloff obviously is, is one of the big names to watch. Um, just, you know, his power and, uh, you know, just the ability to drive runs in. Um, then Kyle Field, though, he's the catcher and he's the ACC player of the year leading the conference. Uh, and hitting only a fifth catcher ever to do that. And if you look at the other catchers that have done that in ACC history, they were all first round picks in the MLB draft. So that says a lot about just the talent that Kyle Teal is. And, uh, the big thing for them is, you know, they knew Geloff and they knew Teal would, would put up offensive numbers this year, but it's been, you know, who was going to be that guy hitting in the five hole behind those guys that was going to allow, you know, pitchers not to kind of pitch around them. And Ethan Anderson has more than stepped up to do that, the first baseman. Uh, he's put up a career year this year coming off. And the funny thing about him is he's an early entrant. He reclassified, so he really should be just a freshman right now, and he was a senior in high school last year just age-wise. So the numbers that he's putting up are, are pretty crazy. He's a switch hitter. Uh, I saw him earlier this year hit a home run from both sides of the plate against VCU, so he's been good. And then at the top of the order is uh, is something else that's kind of interesting is you got Griffo Farrell, the shortstop, another first-team All-ACC guy, and Ethan O'Donnell, another first-team All-ACC guy. Both of them pretty much act like leadoff hitters. Um, O'Donnell's a transfer from Northwestern, so he'll be a new name for a lot of East Carolina fans. He wasn't there last year, but you know he's he adds some power. He also, you know, good driving runs in, and but also a good contact hitter. Um, so really just up and down this order, and it seems like they've kind of filled out the back end of the order, they've kind of switched around with a bunch of different names, and they kind of seem to have settled on uh, a couple guys there. So it's it's a good offensive team, that's for sure. Virginia will open play 12 noon on Friday against Army. And, you know, as far as four seeds go, Preston, Army is not, you know, they're not a cakewalk. I mean, they're a top 100 no. RPI team. And, you know, sometimes you can, as a one seed, and ECU's gotten some really weak fours in the past, and, and you can almost – not look past, but definitely, you know, not play your best and still win the opening game. It feels like Army is at least at least is a bit of a tricky opener for Virginia. I'm sure they're they're kind of saying the same thing. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to expect this team, this Virginia team, to kind of sleepwalk into that one. It's just not the kind of team that you can do that. You know, luckily they have someone on the team that can remind guys in Connolly Early who pitched for this Black Knights team last year. Like, this is a good team, and they made some noise last year in the NCAA tournament too. Um, so I, I would expect, you know, Army to, to put up a good fight and, you know, I wouldn't, you know, count them out in this, in this regional at all. And I think once people saw Army was the four in this regional, they kind of started looking at this and being like, man, this might be one of the toughest regionals out there in, in the country right now with East Carolina. And then you know, Oklahoma is interesting too, just because they kind of, 
one of the last teams to get into the NCAA tournament field. But, you know, sometimes that can kind of charge a team up. Visit with Preston Willett, who covers Virginia for CBS 19. And, and Preston, it seems like every postseason for a team to go on a run, you kind of have to have maybe a guy who is unexpected to step up, whether it be a pitcher or a position player. Is there anybody you can identify on Virginia's roster who, you know, maybe is obviously a, a player, a key player, but maybe doesn't get the, the praises of Jake Geloff and Kyle Till that, that you think can really help carry this team in the postseason? I mentioned him earlier, and it might be cheating just because he is the five-hole hitter, but Ethan Anderson, um, just he has been absolutely tremendous this year. And just he, I, I think in the, in the future, next year, another year in this team, you know, he's going to be at the level of a, a first-team all-ACC type of player. You know, the, the conference is so loaded at first base, so he was only third team this year. But he is tremendous, good at driving runs in, just really solid at the plate, has a good average. Um, so he's someone I think could even take a further step in this tournament. Another guy that's kind of been streaky this year but has shown the potential is Casey Salke, who uh, plays in the outfield for UVA. Uh, he started last year for this team and has shown a lot of uh, a lot of good ability. Um, another sneaky name, I, I'm, you know, this is more than one, but uh, Anthony Stefan is the is the DH, and he's he's not a he's not a power guy, not what you normally think about for a DH, but he's kind of a a good hard contact guy makes a lot of good plays has made some clutch plays for this team all season long. So I would not be surprised at all if Anthony Stefan had some kind of moment uh, this weekend in Charlottesville pitching wise. Uh, it's, you know, like I said, all these guys are kind of even, so it's really just, you know, what are you going to get out of each one of them? Uh, Jack O'Connor's a guy I hadn't mentioned. He's a freshman, um, been kind of pitching out of the bullpen lately after being a starter, a Sunday starter for most of the year. So, but he's looked good out of the bullpen, so we'll see what he can do. I'm, I'm assuming you know he, he'll probably get a start at some point. Preston, last thing for you, if I remember correctly, Davenport uh, Davenport Field plays fairly big, and uh, that, that's maybe why you see some some high home run totals from some of these guys who can absolutely crank the ball. But then you see a ton of doubles from this Virginia lineup. Mm-hmm. Is it you know is it, it does it play more to gap power more so than you know a, a smaller home run oriented ballpark? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. You know, you mentioned the doubles. They hit a, I think, a program record for doubles this year. A couple guys have, uh, I think, Kyle Teal and Ethan Anderson actually broke the school record for doubles at the same time this year. Uh, and th- that's just kind of how the ballpark plays. And last year, when this team really struggled down the stretch and kind of in the middle of this year, too, it's because these guys were trying to hit for power, trying to, you know, hit the home run. But, you know, you end up with a lot of pop fly balls at the fence or something like that so it does it definitely plays big um you're going to see a lot of balls kind of fly just short into into left field um of that left field fence but you know i you know, we'll see what the wind looks like it looks like good weather this week so i don't think we'll have you know too much uh too much problems with that he's preston willett check him out on twitter at preston willett w-i-l-l-e-t-t uh Preston, we'll catch up with you in Charlottesville in person on uh, Friday or Saturday, man. Hopefully we see these two teams score off, but we appreciate the time on today's program. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, big shout-out to East Carolina. A lot of those kids uh, play summer ball up here for the Charlottesville Comstock, so it would be good to see them come back into this area. Guys like you, Savage, and Cunningham. Absolutely. I know that I talked to Carter on, on Monday. He's fired up to be back up there as a Virginia guy. But, <laughs> uh, but thanks, Preston. We appreciate it, man. Absolutely. Thanks, Stephen. 
All right, that's Preston Willits. We'll get our final break in on the other side to come back and wrap up the show. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. The Pirates play here. Arr! This is Hoist the Colors Radio with Stephen Igo. Yes, that was so good. On 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into the program, wrapping things up here on this Wednesday, May 31st edition of Hoist the Colors. We had the announcement earlier at the top of the show that we will be carrying Interbanks Media on 103.7 WTIB, the Rose versus West Henderson Championship Series. J.H. Rose going for another state title. Coach RV, by the way, will be on the Patrick Johnson Show Thursday, so check that out at 5 o'clock on Thursday. The coverage... There will be a Friday game at 8 p.m. Saturday is scheduled for 2. Sunday, if necessary, will be 5 or 8 p.m. We'll get that to you. Again, our sponsors, Pitt County Schools, Orthopedics East and Sports Medicine Center, Meridian Park Apartments, the Gavigan Agency, the J.H. Rose Athletic Foundation, Wells Fargo Advisors in Greenville, Stadium Sports, the law firm of Hardy, Massey, and Blodgett, Caraway Office Solutions, and the Tire Realty Group. So, those are your sponsors, and again, we'll have the coverage for you, the J.H. Rose State Championship Series this weekend versus Wes Henderson, best of three series for another state title beginning Friday at 8 o'clock on WTIB 103.7. Croft, Massey, and Jackson Searles will be on the call for Interbanks Media. So there's your announcement there. By the way, I'm expecting, I don't know the time frame for this, but I was told Today, most likely, they will announce the first handful of ECU football games. The game times, the television coverage, the kickoff times are supposed to be revealed on today, uh, Wednesday, May 31st. So stay tuned for that announcement this afternoon. It's supposed to be kind of a college football-wide deal where basically the first three weeks are announced of the season. So we should get a game time for the Michigan game, we should also get game times for Marshall and App State along with television coverage. And the Gardner-Webb game, if, if history is any indication, should be a 6 o'clock kick on ESPN Plus if ECU stays with uh, that plan. That's been the plan in the past for FCS games. So stay tuned for that. I think last year on the date it was announced around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, so we'll keep our eyes peeled for that news as well. Some other news from yesterday, Treya Savage, the ECU ace, has received an invitation for the USA Collegiate National Team. This is, the, I believe, the fifth straight year that the Team USA has gotten together that the Pirates will have a representative. In 2018, it was Jake Agnos, and 20, uh, Bryant Packer was also there in 2018, and then Alec Burleson, 2019. Of course, no team in 2020, and then Carson Wisenhunt in 2021. Zach Agnos, Jake's brother, was a representative in 2022. So this will mark the fifth straight year, the sixth Pirate overall in that span that ECU has had a representative on the collegiate national team. So big news there for Trey Savage, and we'll see when he pitches this weekend. All right, that'll do it for Hoist the Colors on today's edition of the show. Tomorrow we're going to talk to former Pirate All-Conference second baseman Charlie Jorgen we had some big hits in the 2016 Charlottesville Regional. So looking forward to that. We'll also have Philip Pilkington in the studio as well. This has been Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game.
This has been Hoist the Collars with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com, on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Collars on 943 The Game. On the common. Peter Banks Media's got the biggest and best free live shows in ENC. And it gets even better Thursday, June 8th, when Landslide hits the town common in Greenville.